The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. My name is Chris Crawford. Today is Saturday, June 24th. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I'm joined today by a very special guest. Ryan and Drew are both taking care of uh, some stuff, so thought I'd bring in one of my favorite people in the kind of in the world in the world uh, <laughs> my good buddy uh he writes for CBS Sports and he read his work at a bunch of other places but he is doing awesome stuff over there please welcome my friend RJ Anderson RJ how's it going it's going well how about yourself it's not too bad it's not too bad we're finally in the summer months whether I uh, I'm sure is a little more humid where you are <laughs> than it is for me but that's uh that's okay. He's it's uh, rained like the last four or five days. Oh, actually. has it really? Yeah. Oof, yeah. And there's a reason DC used to be a swamp, right? Yeah, that's true. That so. is true. There, there, there is definitely true to its roots. True to its roots. So coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk a lot about the MLB draft. Some of you know that's been a, a passionate thing that I've covered for a long time. And RJ is currently doing uh, an outstanding job covering it for the good folks of CBS Sports. So I definitely want to talk about that. Uh, big for a lot of you that are going to have dynasty drafts coming up and selecting some of these guys. So get a little bit of detail on those guys. But before we started with that, RJ, I wanted to talk to you about some prospects who have not made their debuts yet and kind of whether or not they have a chance to make a fantasy impact. And the first name I wanted to talk to you about was Christian Encarnacion Strand. Now, you've seen the Reds call up several guys already make an impact already. Matt McClain, uh, there's this Ellie De, Ellie uh, Elijah De, I, I can't pronounce Ellie De La Cruz. Oh, that right. guy. Um, I guess he's looked okay so far. He did. He kind of sort of hit for the cycle, and the youngest player to do that in a very long time. Uh, and also, Andrew Abbott has been absolutely outstanding for them on the mound as well. Uh, and Cardacion Strand acquired in the trade for Tyler Malley, a trade that I think that uh, the Twins might look back and say a little bit of uh-ohs to, to be honest yeah. with you, even though it was a trade I liked at the time. And I do think Miley has a chance to be a solid starting pitcher uh, for the next few years. But Encarnacion Strand has put up absolutely monster numbers in the minor leagues. Do you think he has a chance to make an impact at the highest level this year? I think part of the reason that I'm hesitant to say yes is because of the call-ups you just mentioned with sure. uh, McLean and with uh, Gila Cruz, whoever that is. But also, you know, they have Spencer Steer there, and they have some other infielders, you know, Joey Votto and uh, Jonathan India, who are already in place. And when I look at their depth chart, all of a sudden it's overbrimming, and I have a little bit of difficulty finding how he would slot in in the near term. Now, these things tend to take care of themselves through injury and underperformance, and 
you know, maybe the Reds trade one of those guys over the next few weeks to fill another hole in the roster. Who knows? But uh, from a team level perspective, I have difficulty seeing how Encarnacion Chan would slot in. I will say as a player, he's pretty interesting to me. You know, obviously he has big time power from the right side. He does have very high whiff and chase rates, however, mm-hmm. especially against left-handed pitching, which caught me off guard. I would have thought that he would have more trouble with right-handed breaking balls. I wonder if there's Maybe it's just a small sample thing because, you know, we face fewer lefties in general. I also wonder if maybe there's some pitch recognition issues there with change-ups. I didn't dive as deep into the numbers as I probably should have to make that point. But that's what always comes to mind when a right-handed sure. batter has those kind of issues against lefties. So I'm kind of guessing he won't make a big impact this season, borrowing something unforeseen. Yeah, I think that's fair. And he's still somebody I rank at the top of my list because – if the Reds find a way to get Encarnacion Strand into the lineup, I think that he's somebody you just absolutely have to add. I was pretty excited, actually. Um, earlier in the uh, last week, he played left field and right field, and I was mm-hmm. thinking, oh, well, this is an interesting way to get him into the lineup. That quickly, apparently, just stopped being a thing. He played third base and first base all last week. You know, the return of Joey Votto is another thing that kind of unfortunately hurts his chances of coming over to play. Joey Votto obviously going to play over Christian Encarnacion Strand, whether even if Joey Votto wasn't as good of a player as Christian Encarnacion Strand at this point, you were going to play uh, Joey Votto. But I like him. I, I think the swing and miss is a great point. Uh, he got off to a terrible start in terms of strikeout to walk ratio, but that's been better. I think that mostly has to do with just the fear of pitching to Christian Encarnacion Strand more than all of a sudden him becoming a walk machine. Um wow an easier guy to pitch around, especially now that Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain are no longer in that AAA lineup. Boy, what a fun lineup that must have been for people to go watch in, <laughs> in AAA, man. That's uh, And there's still some talented players there, like Encarnacion Strand. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, been a player a player that you, you have to keep an eye on. It's just you also have to be wary of the fact that there's just no guarantee that he's going to be up anytime soon. And the same thing for Colton Kowser. Uh, Colton Kowser is hitting 328, 459, 539. Triple A Norfolk this year, nine homers, six stolen bases. Uh, did miss some time with a quadriceps injury, but Kowser was a guy I think a lot of people really liked in the MLB draft. Ended up going fifth, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I thought he was more of a eight to ten type of guy, but certainly yeah. not a massive reach by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, a guy who's showing five plus tools. Do you think he's a guy who has a chance to help this year? Yeah, I like him actually. I like him a lot. You know, he's got a really good combination, a really good foundation of offensive skills where he makes a lot of loud contact and -hmm. also he really commands the strike zone. Uh, There is some swing and miss there as well uh, within the zone especially, but, you know, it's just a matter of how do the Orioles create space, not only for him, but for several other position players on that triple A roster. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, gosh, they have a ton of talent coming positionally. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of, you know, how are they going to – you know, clear up that log jam. And again, these things tend to take care of themselves. Wouldn't surprise me if they move someone to get some pitching help this deadline uh, as they try to chase down the Rays in the East. But I do think that he's just about ready to contribute in the majors, be it for the Orioles or another organization. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. I could see Kowser absolutely being a piece that gets moved to somebody for like an elite type of arm. Like that. that's going to be... 
there aren't too many teams that can headline a trade better than Baltimore with the Colson Kowser type of thing. And uh, it's interesting. Somebody brought this up, a question in this chat. Hi, guys. Great show. Thank you. Do you see maybe the Reds trading Nick Senzel to make room for Christian Encarnacion's grant? Uh, so I will say that uh, Senzel, I think, is definitely a trade target that they could have for something like uh, a back-end starter or some middle relief type of help. I'm just not sure if trading Senzel necessarily opened things up for Encarnacion Strand because Senzel isn't necessarily an everyday player for them anyway at this point. And I think if you are calling up Christian Encarnacion Strand, it's probably going to be to make sure that he's in your lineup every day. Would you agree with that, RJ? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And you know, we talked about some of his issues as a player with regards to his approach, his mm-hmm. feel for the strike zone. So he might be someone they view as a player who would benefit from an entire season in AAA anyway. Right. Uh, obviously, you know, it's not quite the same thing as making the leap from, you know, high A to double A. But maybe right. they feel there's some benefit to him being on the minor league side for most of the rest of the year. Maybe he makes a debut in September or something. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they could trade Sinzel. I just don't know, like you said, if it necessarily clears the way for him to have a bigger role this season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it is fun to watch the Reds right now seeing this. In spite of their ownership group have some success, it's great for those fans to have an actual reason to come to that ballpark right now. Um, Yeah, I think that if Sinzel is traded, it would be for some relief help or maybe some prospects that get you some other potential relief help. I, I don't think he's going to be the reason why uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand gets called up. Uh, Ronnie Mauricio uh, hitting, and his numbers have actually dropped a little bit lately, but part of that is just due to the fact that they couldn't be this good for this long. Hitting 310, 356, 521 for AAA Syracuse, 11 homers, 11 stolen bases, 877 OPS. A guy that was kind of like a potential top 50 prospect that, saw his stock drip mainly because his contact issues were just so significant and showed no approach to the plate whatsoever. A 125 to 24 strikeout to walk ratio is good for a reliever, but not good for a (laughs) shortstop, which is what he had last year. 51 to 16 this year, which isn't that much better, but I think a little bit better. Uh, The Mets are saying that he's going, they're not going to bring him up until there's an everyday role for him. But you watch this Mets lineup and they need a boost. And uh, interesting that they did trade Eduardo Escobar, which prompted a whole bunch of people wondering, hey, is this the trade you make to make room for Ronnie Mauricio? Uh, About a billion Mets beat writers quickly shot that down. (laughs) But it is still absolutely interesting, worth mentioning. What are your thoughts on Ronnie Mauricio as a potential contributor this year? Yeah, it goes back to the approach question, right? You know, would he benefit from spending the entire season in AAA? And, you know, these vary on a case-by-case basis. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily think of him as a, you know, big-time contributor this season, just because I think, for me, myself at least, you know, when it comes to these guys with approach issues, I always get concerned that they're going to come up to the majors and they're going to get picked apart because teams just have way more information about minor league players than they did a decade ago or two decades ago. And I don't know it's going to take very long for the book to get around on, you know, his tendencies to expand the strike zone. So I'm kind of conservative on players like this, this profile in general, making a quick transition. Maybe that's wrong of me. You know, maybe I'm just uh, making stuffing up. that's not going to be there. But for me, I would I would probably be pretty bearish about him this season just because I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to make the transition, make the adjustments he'll need to. And I don't know that the Mets are going to position themselves or they have to count on yet another young player. I mean, 
depending on how he would fit onto that roster, you're talking about two or three rookies starting every single day. I don't know if that's really what they have in mind. I think they might be more likely to address their issues with veteran help at the deadline. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't think about that rookie thing, but that for a team that has a payroll of approximately $900 billion, um, to have one-third of your lineup be rookies would be kind of a weird thing. All due respect to those guys. I like Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez a whole heck of a lot, and they're deserving of playing time. But it is a kind of an interesting thing to think about having that kind of payroll and then one third of your lineup being guys that have uh, still rookie eligibility. Uh, I, I like Mauricio as a long term play, and I, I do have him ranked fairly high on my imminent arrivals article, just partially because power speed is tough to find right now. And he yeah. does have the chance to hit the ball over the fence and to steal bases when they give him that shot. Another guy who's played in the outfield as of late as well. And I think that makes some sense. Like, look. Shortstop, not going to happen. They've got a guy there for a very long time. Second base, sure, you got that, but I think Jeff McNeil is perfectly adequate over there. You know, guys like Mark Canha and uh, Tommy Pham, you know, those are guys I think you can play Mauricio over. I'll do respect to them. I love Mark Canha as a person, as a player, but I do think that, like, long-term and even in the short-term, it's easy to justify playing Mauricio there, but I would guess he's probably not getting the call-up until – right around uh, the deadline, something like that. I do think he will make the debut this year. Um, Less sure about a few of these other guys that we've mentioned. Uh, And I'm not so sure about this guy as well, RJ. Self Relic, but I do like him an awful lot. Uh, He's hitting 264, 362, 385. That's not even close to indicative of the talent. He's only been able to play 25 games because of a, I believe it was a thumb injury that sidelined him for the majority of this minor league season. Uh, was off to kind of a slow start before that thumb injury. I kind of wonder if it was bothering him before. Right. But RJ, this is a guy who has hit, in his two previous minor league seasons, hit 329 and 331, and didn't just dink and dunk the baseball. Had an OPS above 880 in both of those seasons. Uh Stole 24 bases last year, uh, has already stolen six and 25. I think the new rules certainly help a guy like this. And for fantasy players, you know, we're always looking for those stolen base threats. I guess the question mark with is a little bit of a log jam in the jam in the Milwaukee outfield. But the comments from Matt Arnold suggest that this is a guy who really does have a chance to contribute. What are your thoughts on Frelick for 2023? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're starting Ryan Maltapia right now. And I feel like that's probably a pretty good sign that, you know, despite the depth that they appeared to have back in spring, mm-hmm. things change, you know, injuries occur, underperformance happens. Unfortunately for Frelick's sake, you know, he's been the one underperforming when he has been available. Uh, yeah. You know, he just actually narrowly avoided a significant knee injury a few days ago even. So oh, hasn't right. been his year from that perspective, but you're right that there is a lot of talent here. You know, this is someone who, elicited some comparisons to Brett Gardner coming out of Boston College because of you know his approach at the plate, his ability to hit the ball. You know, he's not going to be a big slugger, I don't think. I think we're talking about someone who's probably going to post – like I, I looked at his exit velocity, and I, I forget what it was. I want to say it was, you know, just okay. And, you know, he's hitting the ball around a single-digit launch angle. So, you know, calibrate it in your head where he's going to be more of a guy who – you know, he's hitting line drives, he's hitting ground balls. He's probably not going to clear uh, double-digit home runs by much, if at all. Sure. Um, just think of him as an average on-base guy. And also, as you mentioned, he's going to steal bases because he is very fast, and that has been part of his game. So he's interesting. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he is the most likely of the players we've talked about other than Kowser 
to get significant burn this season. And it wouldn't surprise me if he does a good job with it because I do think highly of him, of his polish. And I suspect that, you know, his struggles are more indicative of, as you said, the physical issues and the lack of availability than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the fact that he is, look, that division is ever so winnable. And I do think he's their best option defensively in center field as well. All due respect to, you know, Joey Weimer, who's just a goofy, goofy, goofy player, but he's so fun to watch, especially yeah. with that haircut. Oh my goodness gracious. But what, what are we doing, kids? We've got to stop. We've st- <laughs> got to stop normalizing the mullet, folks. If there's one thing you take <laughs> away from this podcast, stop normalizing the mullet. Uh, real quick, uh, and I know I didn't uh, have this on our show prep, so I apologize, but I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. We, I just can't help but look at like the top prospects and how many of these guys are in double A, especially the bats Jackson Churio, yeah. Marcelo Mayer, James Wood, Jordan Lawler, Evan Carter, Diego Cartea, Pete Crow Armstrong, just to name a few, Marco Luisiano. So, name another one. Uh, and there's a bunch more that I could go with, right? Um, of those guys that I just mentioned, real quick, and I'll read them again Churio, Meyer, Lawler, Carter, uh, Cartea. Do you think any of those guys have a chance to make an impact this year? We often see the double A to major league jump. We've seen it a few times already this year. It's mostly been with pitchers, but do you think yeah. any of those guys have a shot to make an impact this year? Yeah. And I'll note with the pitcher aspect, I think that might have something to do with a different baseball and teams mm-hmm. just wanting to get their pitchers out of that environment. Could sure. be wrong on that. So, you know, no. I would, I would say Evan Carter perhaps because, you know, yeah. the Rangers are really good. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they're like, okay, you know, let's bring him up. Let's insert him into our lineup. Sure. Uh, granted, not the easiest lineup to crack these days, but of the ones you mentioned, I feel like he probably has the best chance. Because I can't really envision Marcelo. I can't envision Meyer coming up. Just it doesn't really fit with my my impression of the Red Sox situation and the rest of the yeah. names. You know, sure. uh, we just talked about a different Brewers outfielder. So if we can't find a clear, <laughs> yeah. clear rival or a clear yeah. entry point for him, it's going to be hard yeah. for you know a nineteen year old. Um, yes. Yeah. And the Nationals, I mean, gosh, I cannot envision them bringing James Wood up to the majors this season. I would like to see it just because oh, it would be cool too. to watch him nightly. But, yeah, that's not happening, I don't think. No, so I I, think yeah. Yeah. I think if you're seeing a Wood call up, it's going to be something where it's a uh, contract extension signing type of thing yeah. where you would see him get called up. Um, it'd be fun to see just because the Nationals are not a very fun baseball team to watch right now um i will also uh say the one guy in double a who i think maybe has a chance to make a contribution this year but not betting on it per se is look we saw andrew painter look like he was a guy who had a chance to and technically he's just listed at double a um i think he's at least worth monitoring because um he's really good like his stuff has a chance to be among the better young pitching prospects in baseball by the way yuri perez I don't think enough people have talked about how good this guy has been. Holy crap on a cracker. Like I liked Yuri Perez. I had some question marks about like making the transition over, but like this guy looks like one of the best pitchers in baseball right now, RJ. Yeah. I mean, the the swing and miss rates on the secondary pitches are absurd. And, you know, his fastball is good enough where I feel like it's going to miss more bats. You know, it's one of the Mm -hmm. hardest throwing starters in the game and, you know, a swing and miss rate hasn't been there just yet. There's no reason when you look at his movement profile and all that good stuff, they shouldn't be missing more bats of that. So, yeah, I agree, uh, both on Perez and also on Painter. You know, it, they keep saying he's going to pitch this season. I would assume if he's healthy enough to pitch at all, he's going to be pitching in the majors before long. I think that was sure. clearly – they kind of, you know, tipped their hand that he was going to be a big part of their projected plans. And, unfortunately, 
didn't quite work out just yet, but there's still a couple of months left in the season. And for his sake and their sake, hopefully he can get back and make his big league debut because he really is an exciting pitching prospect. Really is. And I also think that it's a, a thing that's fortunate for them, but maybe unfortunate for fantasy managers is the fact that one way you can really manage this guy's innings is having him on your major league roster as a bullpen option, like going right. a couple innings in those maybe as a bulk role type of thing. Um, not a ton of fantasy value in that, even if he's striking out like five guys in those two innings, it's still, right. it's tough to not get the win. Uh, it doesn't really help your innings pitch totals, but I do think he is, um, I do think he is somebody to at least keep an eye on. If you're playing in a rate league and Patriot does get that call up, I think that'll be nice, but I think he's more of a 2024 play. Uh, yeah. Somebody also asked real quick, RJ, this is a guy that maybe you don't have a ton of familiarity with just because you have to cover a billion prospects, but Connor <laughs> Phillips has been absolutely outstanding. Um, he's leading double A in strikeouts with the res rotation. Could he get a call? I'll just give my personal opinion. I don't think it's going to be in the rotation for Connor Phillips, but I do think he could help that pitching staff. He was a guy who was acquired in one of the about 18 trades that the Mariners <laughs> and Reds have played in the last uh, couple of years has excellent swing and miss stuff. The command is not really there yet. Um, I've, I've talked to some folks about Connor Phillips. Uh, probably more of a 2024 play in terms of a starter but like he's ready to go right now in terms of missing bats he's a very interesting option uh have you have you looked into connor phillips at all i haven't but i have looked into some of those ever mariners arms you know brian Wu just a few days ago i thought yeah i was like wow you know um the flatness of his you know, like you know he has the flat release point and it yeah. just zips to the top of his own i was watching yes. him against the yankees and i was like i hadn't heard of this guy too much coming into the season but sure you know the mayors. Uh, their some pitching marks. development is stupid good right now. It's 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 it's, it's been heartening because as as a person who has to watch the Mariners hit um, half of the time, it's been very nice <laughs> to know. Well, at least they can develop pitching. Emerson Hancock's been a lot better lately. Um, Brian Wu, actually, who he kind of reminds me of with that flat, flat release is Ken Hill a little bit you remember oh, that Ken Hill there's used a to, throwback like, reference yeah yes sir the Asian, that dating ourselves here yes we dated ourselves uh. RJ and I were looking at an article about Frederick Weiss right before <laughs> we started recording so we really aged ourselves a little bit yeah um yeah. but yeah those are those are kind of prospects that you need to keep an eye on uh for the for the 2024 season there's some other guys like Oscar Colas although Colas has been absolutely terrible as of late I don't buy it yeah Yeah. I don't buy it it's a it's again it's the approach I just don't think I you know maybe it's a platoon role situation or something like that and that is the organization that will gladly overlook approach issues as we know from their history so absolutely uh Tyler Soderstrom real quick is that somebody that you maybe keep an eye on for 2023 the problem with the Oakland slash Las Vegas slash Nashville when that doesn't work out in six years athletics is that it's um, I just don't think that they're going to be super aggressive with promoting prospects in 2023. Um, yeah. But I, I do like Soderstrom's skill set quite a bit. Is he somebody that if he does get the call, would you be looking to add him to a fantasy roster? I think I'm the lower vote on him. I think that he has a lot of swing and miss issues and I know that he's a little younger and I know, I know scouts who, loved him like thought he was a middle of the order hitter coming out of high school didn't want him to catch at all just wanted to plop him down at first base or right field and you know let him hit but something about it just it gives me pause it feels like there's something missing and i'm a little lower on him than everyone else that doesn't mean i'll be right because lord knows i rarely am but 
I don't know. There's just something about that situation that it, it feels a little off. And I don't know that he would be a present day factor the way that you would expect based on the hype and based on, you know, uh, the pedigree and all there. So I guess I'm probably just lower on him than you are. And I agree. No, with the, yeah. But kidding. I agree with the, I agree with the, like, you know, the complexion of the team. Yes. Yeah. I, I could see them bringing him up just because like, you know, there's no real reason to keep him in the minors all season long. Right. Um, so I, I think he will debut, but I don't know when exactly he'll bring up be brought up, and I don't know what exactly he would do with that opportunity if it would be worth uh, rostering him if you're in a generic fantasy league. Yeah, it's, the the thing that's going to help you this year is that he's definitely going to have catcher eligibility, um, yeah. and ter- that's a tough thing here. And I'll say this: um, I'm not sure he's going to have catcher eligibility for very long, in part because <laughs> of the fact that number one, it's not his best position, and number two. Shane Langoliers is a really good defensive catcher, and there's yeah. just no reason to move him off the position. As good as his bat is, Tyler Soderstrom has enough power and a good enough uh, walk rate, I think, to be a, a pretty solid starting first baseman someday. But yeah. here's the thing. If you're at first base, your bat has to max out to create fantasy stuff. That's why I was lower on guys like Tristan Casas and, and a few other guys that were limited to first base. It, you just have to hit. If you're playing there, Evan White, a good example of that. Evan White was not traded for Tyler Glass now, by the way. I can't believe that trade didn't come to uh, come to fruition. But, it kind of uh, reminds me of the Henry Davis situation, too, where they brought him up and he's you know playing the outfield. He's DHing. Yes. And it's like, if this guy hits, he's not going back behind the play. Like, no, probably just not going to do it. And it probably has something to do with Rodriguez. And sure, you know, that's a whole different everything. But it just makes me think if they bring up Soderstrom and they play him in the corner outfield or at first base or at DH and he hits a little bit. It's really hard to say, okay, we're going to move him back behind the plate and lose this offensive output because, you know, that's kind of the expectation, right? If you move a guy back behind the plate, it's going yes. to burst in their bat, and then you're going to sit there and wonder, hmm, you know, should yeah. we have really done that? Even if, you know, in most cases, you do not have a Shayla Hilliers to have behind the plate instead. You know, it's interesting. The Henry Davis thing is kind of a situation where, I think his stock dropped more than probably any other prospect coming like coming into this season in terms of like a top 100 guy, like not mm-hmm. Kalia Watson, obviously type type of stock drop, but a guy who was like, you know, legitimately a top 25 prospect who dropped in a lot of lists down to like that 70 to 75 range for a lot of folks, because it was like, Hey, is he going to catch the defensive stuff here does not look great. And also they, uh, some talk about moving him to the outfield just to get the bat to move up. So people are kind of right and wrong in that situation. I've always fascinated by those kind of things. Well, you are right to drop him if you think he's not going to be a catcher, but that guy can hit, man. Henry Davis is a really interesting offensive player. Uh, Andy Rodriguez, who you also brought up, is somebody that I think is interesting. Um, Probably needs to get going a little bit. Has really struggled so far and also dealt with some injury stuff this year. Um, So that's something to keep in mind but definitely a couple of guys to keep an eye on. Henry Davis was a guy that I was looking forward to moving in my top 10 list. And then those sneaky, <laughs> sneaky pirates, I guess I can't do that now because he's up there and playing very well at the major league level. All right. We talked about the guys who could possibly help in 2023. Let's talk about some draft stuff. And the first thing I want to ask you, RJ is the class on a whole, is this a strong class, a mediocre class somewhere in between? What would, what do you make of it? I think it's a very strong top of the class. But yes. once you get past those top five, I know a lot of people sort of, you know, disregard. Disregard might be the wrong word, but, you know, it's viewed as a five-player class for the most part. Uh, I do have some players I really like outside of the top five. But mm-hmm. realistically, I think that 
know, this draft is going to be remembered for what those five players did more so than anything else. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's um, as top heavy a class, I think, as I can remember. And that's good and bad. The the good is that like there are some guys who have to be have a chance to be cornerstone players from this draft class, like have a chance to be best players on your team for a good team. You can't often say that. Usually you've got one or two of those guys and you'll have a few surprises. But it's very easy to see this top five, I think, being all guys who have a chance to be something special. And let's start at the top. Dylan Cruz, uh, outfielder for Louisiana State. Um, Some of you might remember Cruz for being a guy who was considered a potential first round pick who withdrew from draft consideration like in 2019. And I think 2020. Goodness gracious. Uh Uh, Yeah, I am old. That that's it seems like it's been longer ago. And yet that still makes me feel old. Has put up absolutely monster numbers. And by the way, real quick, I cannot recommend watching this College World Series final anymore. There is a ton of talent. Uh, and college baseball is a fun sport to watch. I, I hate listening to that ping, but at the same time, I do I do love watching the sport, and there's some really good players in it. Cruz is going to be one of them. Um, is he the top guy on your board? And just how special do you think he has a chance to be? Yeah, uh, everyone I talked to had him at number one. Um, you know, he's someone who I heard potential 77, excuse me, 77, the hit and power tool grades for now. I think that's probably overzealous. He's probably going to settle in to being above average, well above average in both respects. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't really know many people who think he's going to stick in center field for the long haul, but I do know people who think he should at least have the opportunity to begin his career in center field. And we'll see, you know, if there's a team that selects him decides to go that route but we're talking about someone who makes a lot of loud contact he commands the strike zone he's produced against sec competition for a couple years now you know he just checks all the boxes in terms of what teams like to see out of these number one picks and you know there are rumors that maybe the pirates will take the portfolio approach like they did in 2021 uh, with henry davis how about that for a callback but (laughs) I think if it's just based on talent, Cruz is probably the pick. And, you know, as you said, there are five pretty good players, pretty good prospects in this class. So I can see, you know, if you can sort of manipulate the numbers or whatever, I can kind of see the argument. But I think I would just take Cruz and feel good about it when I go to sleep that night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I would do the absolute same. I, I would trust my scouting department. Those do still exist in a few places to be able to find solid players because you just don't get a player like Dylan Cruz that falls into your lap very often. Um, it's interesting uh, if he wouldn't, if he, in a lot of years, his teammate would be the number one overall pick. And that's Paul Skeens, who has been absolutely dominant, transferred from the Air Force Academy and has put up absolutely monster numbers and looked good doing it. Um, your thoughts on Skeens in terms of staying a starter, all of that good stuff. And also, I'll ask you this about Paul Skeens, too. With a pitcher, how much do you think it matters what organization do they drop they drop into? Because, you know, I think it's more for young pitchers that I'm a little bit more hesitant that dra- get drafted by certain organizations. But it, even still, with a pitcher who's only 21 and doesn't turn 22 until I believe next May, um, how much does that matter for you in terms of his development? I think it actually matters a considerable amount in his specific case. And I had him number five. And I know people who are even lower on him than that. And I know that's going to come as a surprise to some people because, you know, there's been a lot of hype, rightly so, surrounding mm-hmm. his performance this season. I think he struck out almost half the batters he faced yeah. in SEC play, which, sure. hey, there's a lot of talent in that arm, a lot of strength in the arm. Uh, there are some concerns, though, about the shape of his fastball. And without getting too nerdy here, basically he has what analysts and scouts describe as a dead zone fastball. And what I mean by that is – his vertical break and his horizontal break have minimal separation. And that can cause a pitch to play down because it has more predictable movement. If you're looking for an MLB comparison or you know a reference point on someone who also had a dead zone fastball and also had big velocity, was also a you know a strapping right-hander, and maybe hadn't lived up to expectations on a consistent basis, I would point to Nathan Uvalde. Obviously yeah. having a great year, might win the Cy Young Award, who knows? Um, yeah. But when you think of Evaldi's career, he's been more good than great, right? And part right. of that is because the fastball has played down from its velocity. I'm not saying Skeen's going to follow the same path. I mean, he's got a sinker in addition to his four-seamer, and I'm just talking about the four-seamer when I talk about dead zone concerns. He's got a sinker that has more run to it than Dustin Mays. You know, so this is someone who maybe he transitions to a sinker, maybe he gets into the right organization and they can figure out a way to create some separation with his fastball movement shape, his four-seam fastball movement shape, so on and so forth. But, you know, there's a lot to like here. He's absolutely deserving of going top five. I know a lot of people in the industry are suggesting that he will go number two to the Nationals because he just fits what they like from pitchers and so on and so forth. Not trying to knock him. Those are the concerns I've been hearing, though, from the industry is that 
internally, some clubs are a little lower on him than you would think because of the fastball, the fastball shape concerns. Yeah, and, and that's something that it's why he's a pretty clear. I have him at number two, but it's a clear number two for me. And the yeah. reason why I'm still pretty high on him is I don't think his fastball is his best pitch. I think that yeah. slider is a legitimate, at times, 80-grade offering. It's sit 70. Now, look, he's going to have to have the change be a well-above-average offering, too, if there is those issues with the fastball stuff. But if that can become your second pitch that you can throw 102 by people and you have to be cognizant of a solid changeup, I think that can work. Now, I would prefer to see more movement. Uh, baseball hitters are really flipping good right now, RJ. I think you know that. It, they can yeah. pick up anything. A 102 is 102, which he's been clocked up at. But if it's flat and if it's straight and you're able to pick up the baseball, you can still hit it in an awfully long way. In fact, right. it could be hit even further because it's going 102 flipping miles an hour. Um but yeah, Skeens is interesting. I think with the Nationals, it would be kind of a nice landing spot just because pretty quick development in terms of fantasy stuff. I could easily see him helping a rotation by maybe the next summer. Um, I oh, wouldn't yeah. bet on it, but I would still say that it's absolutely a chance 2025 at the latest. Oh, we got an interesting draft question here. Hey, Chris, I've got a draft question for RJ. Do you think anyone is still in on Eldridge as a two-way player or is he doomed? to lose one side of the ball when his name gets called. So for those unfamiliar, uh, my buddy Chad is talking about Bryce Eldridge, a uh, first baseman slash right-handed pitcher uh, in Madison High School in Virginia, uh, a six foot seven, 223 high school first baseman at the age of 18. Goodness gracious. Um, has shown uh, potential for some plus power hits from the left side. Uh, RJ, from uh, if your perspective, do you think Eldridge is going to be a two-way guy or do you think he's going to play one position going forward? I think they're just going to take him as the first baseman. Um, you know, you look at the history, the recent history at least, of two-way players, and I know we all thought the Otani would inspire teams to be more open-minded about this. And, and Brendan McKay's case, they gave it an honest try. He just couldn't hit. Um, but you look at the other cases like Mason Wynn, uh, Shellen Mack, and Owen Murphy with Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are other cases that are just in my mind right now. They've almost yeah. all selected one position and almost had them play that position right out of the gate. Like I know, I think Wynn had a few pitching appearances, but for the most part, these teams have not been open-minded about you know these first-round players as two-way guys. And it only takes you know a certain organization to say, no, 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 we're going to give it a we're going to give it a try. But I think that teams are going to look at his bat and his power potential and just be like, you know what? Let's not uh, look a gift horse in the mouth. Let's put him at first base and let him go out there and hit and not fool around with the two-way stuff. Even if, you know, an idyllic scenario, not only as a team, but, you know, as a consumer, you would like to see them give the two-way thing a chance because it has a chance to be very, very uh, valuable and beneficial. But beneficial, excuse me. But the thing is, you know, Otani is such a unique case. Like, you know, his physical stamina and his ability to be so good at both of these things. I think it's more of a testament to him really that he's he exists and he's so good and teams are still like, yeah, I don't I don't yeah. think it's really for anyone else. I think that's sure. really just the ultimate, you know, ultimate sign of respect to Atani is it can happen, but it takes mm -hmm. a very, very, very special individual to pull it off. And no shame in saying most players are not that individual. No, that's exactly it. And look. Otani, this is why he would be my MVP every single year is because <laughs> what he is doing is just literally something we have never seen before. And if you point to Babe Ruth, one, my goodness, you're old. I can't believe you can watch a podcast. And number two, uh, no, it was not like this. Babe Ruth was a 
good pitcher and a great hitter, but he never was great at both at the same time, the way Shohei Otani is. Uh, Eldridge is an interesting case for me, though, because a 6'7 lefty with a couple of plus pitches, that's interesting on the mound, yeah. um, but it's also like you see the power potential. I mean, just being six foot seven automatically gives you some pretty darn good power potential. Um, he's an interesting one. He's committed to play at Alabama. I don't think we're going to see him end up at Alabama with all due respect, um, unless the bonus figure is just something wonky. Um, but yeah, definitely an interesting one. A really good question. We appreciate that chat. Uh, Wyatt Langford, a guy that most years would be the best college bat. The yeah. best college, he's not even the best college bat in his own conference, which just goes to tell you that good <laughs> Dylan Cruz is, but has put up monster numbers for a team that is going to be playing against LSU for that title. Again, cannot recommend watching that stuff enough. Uh, your thoughts on Wyatt Langford as a fantasy prospect? Yeah, I just want to say if you're not interested yet in tuning into that series, <laughs> yeah. we talked about three of the players in that series as the top yeah. three prospects in the draft, potentially. Sure. There's a fourth who could go in the top ten. Who's at those schools? There's two guys who are going to be in consideration. At least two guys, yeah. I should say, who will be in consideration yeah. for a top five pick next year. I mean, oh. there is an outrageous amount of talent uh, mm-hmm. with big league potential in this series. So, um, yeah, Langford, I actually had him as number two. I think he mm-hmm. would be a defensible number one pick most years. Like, if you sure. lined him up against Henry Davis and Spencer Torkelson and some of the other players who have gone number one in the last five or so years, I would take Langford over them. You know, mm-hmm. he's a really good hitter. If you compare his numbers with Cruz, you know, in SEC play and otherwise, he's pretty close. And not only that, he is sneaky fast. Now, granted, part of the sneakiness is because the speed doesn't really turn up in the box score. Like, he's not sure. stealing bases. He does play some center field, um, but they move him to a corner for the most part. Like, late in, like the last game they played, they actually moved him to the corner of a ninth inning. And the guy who came in as his defensive replacement – made the game ending catch it was a really good catch but i i think he's a really good player i i have him number two again most years i feel comfortable taking number one i think he i think he's going to surprise some people because as you said he's not the best hitting outfielder in the sec he's <laughs> arguably not the second best prospect in the sec and yet yeah despite all that he has all-star potential in my book do you think he reaches the majors before cruz or do you think he is a guy? Is that going to kind of be dependent yeah. on what organization he lands on? The only reason I think he has maybe a chance to reach ahead is because I think Cruz, especially if he does end up going to that first pick to the Pirates, I think there may be less aggressive with him. Whereas like if we see Langford go and, and there's a chance that he's that number one overall pick. I think that power is so ready to go. I think there may be less development time. Not that Dylan Cruz is far from a dink and dunk hitter. It is not going to be a guy who is relying on doubles. He can definitely take the ball over the fence. Do you think you could maybe argue that Langford reaches the majors first? It's conceivable just because, like you said, you know, it depends on the organization. It depends on health, um, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the great unknown. I mean, knock on wood, but it's possible that Cruz – suffers an injury like Jordan Lawler or like Drew Jones did. And, you know, it sidelines him for a little bit. But, yeah, it's conceivable. I I think any one of these three players, you could tell me in 12 months' time, they were the first to the majors, I would say. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's fair. I mean, you know, they already – what's the equivalent of SEC? High A? Yeah, Something like that? Like if yeah, you, I would say so. Yeah, so they've already succeeded in what is essentially high A. You know yeah. what I mean? And 
you I don't know if you necessarily drop them into double A and say go get it. Um, right. I, I guess the Rangers did it with Jack Leiter though, so it's not inconceivable. No, it's uh, true. I don't know. I I would just say I think you could give me any one of the three, and I could make up a reasoning that they were the first two of the majors. But yeah, uh, if I were just ranking based on like here's the best player, and I don't think there's an argument I can make in my head about the polish of Langford exceeding Cruz's. I just think you know it's just one of those things where it's going to be dictated by external forces. Yeah, well said. Um, there are a couple of high school bats here, RJ, that I think a lot of years would be the top player in the draft. Uh, yeah. Walter Jenkins out of South Brunswick, North Carolina, and Max Clark, a uh, left-handed bat out of Franklin in Indiana. Uh, talk to me about those two guys, um, which one you prefer, and uh, but just uh, I think both of these guys are definitely excellent fantasy prospects in their own right. Yeah, I like Jenkins more. Uh, I just feel more confident in the bat. You know, he showed that he was healed from – uh, an injury last season and you know he just really hits you know he's got a chance to be well above average and hit and power and he's yeah. not going to be a big speed factor you know he's almost certainly a right fielder perfectly fine you know it does obviously cause the offensive bar to raise uh, sure. go up compared to what max clark will have in center field but yeah I, I like jenkins a lot as a real world prospect uh clark the comparison that Get thrown around constantly is to Cubs prospect Pete Crow Armstrong. Mm-hmm. You know he's he's a good defensive center fielder, has some power. I I don't know. I feel less confident in his bat just for a couple of reasons than Jenkins, I should say. And yet, you know, Clark's probably the best bet to be an up the middle player of these five players we discussed. And sure, can't knock that. Like you know, that's actually very valuable. So. I can get the argument for Clark over Jenkins in real world or fantasy, but for my money, I feel more secure in Jenkins bat. And I would put him over Clark and I did put him over Clark. I had him, um, I had him as number three actually. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a tough one. The, the only reason why I think you might argue Clark as the better fantasy player is just because stolen bases and it's yeah. a look, uh, <laughs> Jenkins is by no means slow above average runner for sure. Um, it's uh, just looking at the profile. It's very easy for me to see uh, Clark being the type of guy who steals 30 to 40 bases, yeah. but not sure about the power. And that's something that you got to keep in mind too, is that I don't think this is a guy who's going to put up uh, maybe uh, it's interesting. You know, Pete Crow Armstrong coming out of high school was not exactly considered a big power threat, went through some swing change stuff and it paid off in big dividends or so far it has anyway um, a guy who I think will rank very highly on my list for prospects for fantasy in terms of 2024. Um, but that's a really interesting one. It is worth pointing out uh, Clark uh, commit to Vanderbilt. Don't think there's any chance that you're seeing him end up there. Uh, Walker, Walker Jenkins commit to North Carolina. Don't think there's any chance you see either of those guys. You have, that big, that, go you ahead. have a better chance of seeing Clark go number one. Yes, you have of him going to Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah. I think and I would just know yeah. um, what you said about um, I'm like, oh, Crow Armstrong, where you know he was not regarded as power hitter coming out of high school. He's made swing changes, and now he's slanted more toward power than hit. That's been become the trend. Like Matt McClain, yes. and there are other examples where that's the thing teams do now. So we're talking about Clark, and we're saying, oh, you know, he's not a power hitter. The caveat is, it is yeah. possible one of these yeah. teams gets him. And all of a sudden, instead of being, say, a 60 hit, 40, 45 power guy, it's a 40, 45 hit yeah. and a 60 power. Like that happens a lot now and it makes us all look really silly. It does. 
that's the house yeah. style in major league baseball right now. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's worth pointing out too. Like, it's not like Jenkins, excuse me. Uh, Clark is like five eleven, one seventy five. This is a six foot one, 190 yeah. pound kid there. The, the build suggests that he's going to be uh, able to hit for power. Um, the, after that, I think the tier drops quite a bit, but I want to ask you about a couple of college pitchers, one that we just watched pitch not too long ago in Rhett Louder for Wake yeah. Forest, and also Chase Dollander, who I think if the draft was held um, at this point last year, Dollander could have made a real strong argument for being one of the first two players off the board. He's quickly been usurped, but I think it has more to do with how good the other guys have been more so than what Dollander is more done wrong. Um, right. Your thoughts on those two guys and their chances for fantasy success in the long term. Yeah. So it's funny because I also want to mention Hurston Waldrop. Um, yes. I've heard, I've heard top 10 rumors for Waldrop and Dollander. And when you look at the numbers and you compare them to Louder, you're like, oh, you know, what's going on here? Because Louder clearly had the better year. And it has to do with how teams evaluate pitchers now. You know, it's about yeah. the stuff. It's about, you know, what can we mold here? And with Dollander and Waldrop, they have big time stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, Dollander tweaked his slider for some reason and it like reduced its sweep by half compared to last season. And you know, if you're a team, you're probably thinking, okay, well, we're gonna get him or we're gonna maybe tweak the slider back, or you know, they just both present a lot of options. And I think that you know, if you're looking for ceiling, those two were the ones to take over louder. Louder is probably the safest because Wake Forest is as good as any program perhaps even as good as any MLB organization when it comes to player development, yeah. specifically pitching development. They have their own biomechanics lab and staff. There's a real chance that he's already optimized his game. And like, there's not another gear coming. He He's going to be a big league pitcher. Yeah. He's probably going to be a middle rotation guy. That's perfectly good. Like that's not a knock on him, but the thing teams are looking at is, okay, we know what he's going to be. What if we can unlock Dolomiter? What if we can unlock Waldrop? They have mm -hmm. a chance to be more than, mid-rotation starters so don't be surprised right. uh louder for as good of a season as he had and for as consistent of a performer as he's been ends up being the third or the fourth pitcher taken collegiately uh this class uh, there's a real chance of that i think and uh to, to answer your question i hope that answered the question at least yeah you did if you're going for upside i would rank louder third of those three if you're going for you know safeness <laughs> a, a sure thing he's going to start big league games or as close to yeah. a sure thing as you can get then I would rank him number one. But yeah, um, I think a lot of times you go for upside in these situations, and he's unfortunately yes. at a lower ceiling in my estimation. It'll be really interesting to see where those three go and like in what order or two, because I do yeah. think, like, I will admit, like, I'm a, a splitters man. And when you throw a splitter like Waldrop does, there's just something about, like, I love that pitch so much. It's also a risky pitch. It is a pitch yes. that... Um, I can't tell you how many arm injury guys I have known who have ended up throwing splitters. Now, some of that because uh, relief guys, it's more of a common pitch to be throwing in, um, you know, the Kazuhiro Suzaki forkball is one of my all-time favorite pitches and uh, along those lines. But it is not necessarily the most uh, easy effort pitch of those uh offerings, but it is one of my favorites to watch, that's for sure. Uh, I like Louder a lot. I think, like, we're talking about him as a safety guy, but, like, three plus pitches and throws all of them for strikes. It's just that if I'm taking somebody super high in fantasy, I'd probably want to see one of those pitches be a 70. I don't think any of those offerings for him would qualify in that regard. And for those unfamiliar, yeah. what we're talking about uh, the 2080 scouting scale. So 70 considered uh, plus plus 
well above average, usually 60, but we're talking well above average uh, in terms of that regard. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Jacob Wilson, because I kind of feel like he's one of the more volatile prospects in this draft. Uh, It's interesting. He is the son of Jack Wilson, a former all defense, no hit guy. Uh, It's kind of the opposite for Jacob, a guy at Grand Canyon University um, who has shown, uh, put up some monster numbers, really performed well uh, in the Cape Cod and then with Team USA as well, uh, a 21-year-old, but a guy who gets a wide variety of opinions. Where are you on Jacob Wilson, my friend? I think I'm the low vote again. Um, Here's the thing. He was the toughest collegiate batter to strike out this season. I think he had like a two-point-something strikeout rate. That's played appearances, not at-bats. He never struck out, uh, puts the bat on the ball constantly, consistently as well. But he does not impact the ball. And when I say that, I mean he is not posting impressive or even you know, baseline exit velocity readings. Like he's well, well below average. And when you watch him swing, you know, he, he loads his hands well before he begins to stride. And, you know, maybe if you're a player development staff, you think, oh, you know, we can tweak that swing just a little bit and maintain his contact ability while giving him a little bit more slugging upside. But it, it's a tough one for me. I don't think that I could, like, to put it in this, like, into pitcher terms, if you had a pitcher who threw 90% strikes, but rarely topped 85 miles per hour right do you take that in the top 10 like yeah i don't think i would it's such an extreme skill set that i would have trouble justifying that i wouldn't feel comfortable because of lack of precedent with wilson i'm just like you know if he wasn't able to consistently hit the ball hard against the caliber of pitching he was seeing what's he going to do against you know the guys from the sec and the guys you know the elite prep players and all that and it's just not a risk I'd be willing to take. There are some other collegiate infielders in this draft who are probably going to go around the same time that I would just feel a little bit safer about. And if I end up missing on this profile, you know, if he becomes the next Luis Arise, okay, I missed on the profile. But I think right. that you have to view this from a probabilistic perspective. And from that perspective, I'm kind of cold on him as a top 10 prospect. So I agree with you. Um, I do think that I do think that he is going to be a guy who I think – you're going to have to make swing changes with him. Like yeah. if, if you, especially if you're taking him like top 10, top 12, whatever, uh, you can't have a 40 grade power guy. And then here's the main reason why I'm concerned. I'm not really sure he's a shortstop. Like yeah. he has a good arm and he definitely, you know, he, he's certainly not his father who was one of the best defensive shortstops that I've ever seen. I'm still a little mad at him because he was the big Mariner deadline acquisition. And, to say like he was never a great hitter anyway. To say it completely fell apart when he joined Seattle is the understatement of understatements. What about but, Ian Snell now? Yeah, yeah, that worked out well. Yeah, Ian Snell. It's a good thing that Jeff Clement didn't develop into anything because I don't think anybody won that trade. To be completely honest with you, but if you have to move that to second base, uh, it's, it's that's Nick a magical. tough profile. Yeah, that, that's there you go. A, a Nick Magical without the speed, and that's not really something that I'm real interested in. It is worth pointing out, though, he has put up monster numbers. Like, and, and the contact skills are early. There, there are no questions about that. It's also worth pointing out he plays in some pretty friendly parks too. Yeah. Like, there puts the bat on the ball. Of, There's no yeah. denying that. But he's yeah. not Brooks the, Lee. You know what no, I mean? Like Brooks not. Lee came from California. Yeah. He was a collegiate guy. He had a lot of contact skill. But to me, the, there's no comparison. And Brooks Lee fell to what eight last year? I want to say. Yes. Yeah. For me. I, obviously, you can't make these kind of comparisons between classes for a lot of different reasons. But for me, like 
if I'm taking one of those two guys in the top 10, I'm taking Lee. And like, it's not even a conversation for me. And that's nothing so, against Wilson. He's, close, no. he's clearly going to go high. He's clearly yeah. going to make a lot of money. And who knows? I mean, he might turn into a really fascinating player. But um, yeah. I wouldn't want to be the one to take that chance of a top 10. So Absolutely. I would agree with you there. Uh, close, I want to talk about some high school bats real quick. Um, yeah. Uh, a couple of some guys that have just absolutely seen their stock absolutely rise a ton lately. Uh, number one, uh, I hope I'm saying the name right. Arjun Damala, a shortstop out of Strawberry Crest in okay. Florida. Um, I've heard some talk about him being a potential top 10 pick. Um, Aiden Miller, a third baseman out of Mitchell High School, who has some of the best raw power in this class. And then also Colin Hauk, who is a guy who is coming from the same high school as Matt Olson. Um, a two-star player who has shown the chance to hit for average and a chance to hit for power. Uh, just kind of briefly walk walk us through those three guys, and if you had a favorite of those three, which one would you go with? Oh, it's the Mala. Uh, I mean, if you're looking for someone outside of the top five players we talked about earlier, uh, Cruz, Skeens, Jenkins, Clark, and Langford, who's going to become a star from this class, uh, I would say it's the Mala. Um, <laughs> he has the best chance. You know, he's super young. He's not going to turn 18 until after the draft. He's going to stick at shortstop in all likelihood. He's really smooth there. You look at him offensively, he has a lot of bat speed. His frame, I think he's got, I think he's listed like 6'2 or 6'3. And, you know, he, he kind of has like the Carlos Correa frame where you just know he's going to add some muscle and the power has a chance to get into plus territory. Um, you know, obviously, you're going to have to take your time with him. He's not going to be someone who's going to be the first guy to the majors, probably not going to be to the majors anytime soon. But he has a chance to be a really, really good player. And if he gets into the right system, gets the right coaching and instruction, uh, I think he has a chance to be a star-level player. Um, Aiden Miller, like you said, a lot of power. I'm not going to stick at shortstop. I think he's still presented as a shortstop. Uh, he's a third baseman. Yeah. You know, um, I kind of wonder if he'll be hurt by – there being collegiate third baseman with somewhat similar profiles in this class, you know, Andy Morales and Brock Wilkin. I'm kind of a low guy on both of them because of the swing and miss, especially within the strike zone. And in Morales' case, he also just does not like to walk at all. Uh, and Wilkin, he had like 260 in conference play, which is just really not good for a first round collegiate bat. But anyway, that's that's an aside. I just wonder if he's going to be hurt by that comparison and maybe he drops a little bit more than we expect. And Hawk, um, I actually had him in the top 30 entering the year. I thought the athleticism and the well-roundedness of his skill set made him someone to watch. I did not anticipate him jumping to, you know, the 12 Ooh. to 15 range. I mean, he really, yeah. to his credit. And, you know, you mentioned he's from the high, same high school as Matt Olson. I think there's like four or five big league players who went to this high school. And like yeah. all of them somehow ended up on the Atlanta Braves at one point. <laughs> I think oh, Jeff Coppinger was the, that was the exception. It was Jeff yeah. Coppinger. It's like Olson. Jeff Francoeur, yeah, Scott Thorman, or maybe one of those, you know, one of those guys who got a cup of coffee with uh, sure. the Braves in the early 2000s. But yeah, anyway, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, he's going to end up with the Braves, clearly, if you look at that as a precedent. Um, but no, I like him. <laughs> um, there are, again, there are a lot of collegiate infielders who maybe teams will prefer. You know, there's uh, Matt Shaw and Tommy Troy. And, yeah. You know, we'll see how teams uh, – how they, you know, what the hierarchy is there in teams' eyes, but it wouldn't surprise me if he goes in the top half of the first round. I think he's a pretty, pretty nice prospect as well. You know, it's funny if we were having this conversation uh, at this point last year, 
Uh, Jacob Gonzalez not being talked about at this stage would surprise an awful lot of people. Uh, yeah. Just quick, real quickly, run down what's gone on going on with Jacob Gonzalez and whether or not you think he still has a chance to make an impact. Well, I think he has a chance to be a solid player. I think the issue is number one: a lot of other players took step forwards, step yes. forwards, and Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. He had a really good college career, but he didn't have the kind of big banner year that I think everyone expected from him. I know he had like a knee issue to begin the last offseason, and you know, maybe that impacted him in a way that we don't really know about. But you know, when you look at his skill set in his tool outlay or whatever, it's not clear to me that there's necessarily going to be a plus tool there. It's possible mm-hmm. that everything's just 55 and below, which again, that's a big leaguer. Yeah, not knocking him at all. He's going to go in the first round. I'm sure of it. But I think that you know the, just the lack of separation from his, his track record and also from the rest of this class, uh, especially with the collegiate infielders, probably just caused him to slip a little bit. And maybe he's going to go in that 15 to 20 round, or excuse me, 15 to 20 range instead of yeah. top five, top six. I think entering the year, most people had him in the top five. Like he was viewed, you know, SEC probably going to stick it short hit against top flight competition you can just like go through the list left-handed bat like you went through the list and it's just like yep 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 he's gonna go high and then we get here and it's like okay well maybe not as high as we thought so. yeah i think one of the things with gonzalez was too is that you know highly thought of coming out of high school goes to a program like Ole miss who's done a pretty solid job of developing talent and yeah. then he has that big NCAA tournament and it's like, okay, here's the sign that it's coming next. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think if we held the draft right after that tournament, he's certainly going in the top five, um, but just hasn't quite taken that step forward. It wouldn't shock me. This certainly happens a lot where he could be a better performer at the professional level than as a, as a collegiate guy, because you tap into those tools, um, probably a third baseman for me, but still a third base, I think above average power above average hit tool can certainly play uh, real quick before we close things down. This is not my favorite class in terms of prep pitching. I think that last year's class was also not my favorite term in terms of prep pitching. Of course, last year, uh, if Dylan Lesko would have stayed healthy, I think he actually did have a real shot to be not just a high pick to be maybe that guy who was going to be that first one, one because his stock was just absolutely soaring. Then unfortunately the injury, it's not really a case of injury though. So this far uh, this year, RJ, I think it's just these guys are more mid to late first round picks, even the best prep arms. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah. And I think I would just say this is another aspect where teams have really altered their thinking. And it goes back to kind of what we talked about earlier with Jacob Wilson, where like, you know, you have to look at the, the macro and you have to be aware of the trends and you have to be aware of the failure rates and, you know, you talk to scouts, they're very aware of this stuff. I know that right-handed prep pitchers almost never are worth early first-round picks. Now, you know, there are the occasional outlier. Like, you know, I'm not saying it never, ever works. Um, but for the most part, it doesn't work. And so if you're yeah. drafting in the top 10, if you're drafting a top five in this class, there's no chance. You're not even thinking about the prep pitchers. Drafting a top 10, you probably aren't going to do it either. It's going to be like, you know, the 12 onward range. Now, if I'm picking 29th, 28th, whatever, and Charlie Soto sitting there, sure, I might end up getting a really nice bargain. But, you know, it's just about weighing the risk and reward, but also the likely reward, you know, versus the risk. You know, it's not just about, okay, what's the ultimate upside here? It's realistically, you know, what are we going to get from this pick? And you're almost always safer going with the bat. You're almost always safer, you know, 
uh, finding your pitchers later in the draft. But yeah, I, I, nothing against Meyer, nothing against Soto, nothing against. Uh, I'm sure I'm blanking on an obvious one here. I'm going to kick myself for forgetting off the air. But no, I think you're good. Yeah, I don't know. It, I just don't think you can really justify taking him in the top ten, and you know that's nothing against them. It's just how it is. Yeah, and it stinks because. Unfortunately, now, if you're a guy like Noble Meyer, it may make more sense to go to Oregon because if you go perform for two to three years there, you've got a chance to be the first pick in the draft. You have a chance to be like one of those guys and raise your stock by a couple million. You also have the chance to go to Stanford and have somebody tell you to throw 156 pitches and see your stock drop considerably. Like there's, it's a huge risk, but unfortunately, the analytics have taught us, and it's not even just. Analytics seems like a stupid word for it. It's just the the math tells you that if you take a prep arm high, his chance for success is pretty low. Um, whereas if you draft a collegiate arm, you may not get that same type of upside. You may not get uh, a guy who has a chance to be a future ace. And I do think it's a tough one too, because I want to get these guys in my systems as soon as possible, right? I want to, yeah. I want to be the one who's developing the guy. I don't want the co- I'll do respect to Vanderbilt. I'll do respect to all those guys. Uh, Wake Forest, I feel more confident developing that arm than I do Wake Forest or anybody else. I do feel that way. But at the same time, it's a lot of money and it's a lot of draft capital that you're risking taking these prep pitchers high. Uh, I do think Meyer, if I was taking one of those prep arms, would be the one that I would take just because I see the projection in terms of – and Soto's interesting too. Don't get me wrong. Um, They're both both high quality. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Thomas White, interesting. And uh, also Eldridge, like if he if they give him a chance to pitch might be the best uh, uh, in terms of like pure upside of those arms. It's just because of that height and stuff. But it is interesting to see just like the prep arm. Uh, We've never seen a prep arm go one one. And I'm willing to bet RJ. We're probably not going to see a prep arm go one one anytime soon. No. Prep arm right hander go one one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We've seen a couple left handers, and by the way, that hasn't worked out well either. No, um, but this is another reason. Like, if you're thinking like, oh, you know, what about young catchers? Like, you're not going to see a high school catcher taken very no. early often either, because you know historically, I mean, let's put it this way: there hasn't been a high school catcher who's taken in the first round or supplement around who stuck at the position and had ten or more war for their big league career since Joe Maurer and he was drafted in 2001 we're talking about literally decades since yeah. someone did that and yet every summer some team says this is the year this is the guy yeah. he's going to be the yeah. new Joe Maurer and then it just doesn't work out because no although and, Harry Ford yeah he might be, he might be the next Joe Maurer I mean hopefully yeah. he seems really yeah. cool as a yeah. human being awesome. good prospect yeah. so yeah hopefully. yeah it's really good approach at the plate um should be able to stick behind the plate. The only reason he might yeah. not is because, I mean, you've got Big Dumper, and Big Dumper looks like a pretty <laughs> solid option there for a long time. I just love any time I get to say Big Dumper on I, a I podcast. Teed, I teed that up for you. I didn't <laughs> yeah, even mean they, to do it. Nice. No, yeah. That's okay. That is okay. And I do think there will be a prep catcher taken in the first round this year. Uh, Blake Mitchell is pretty interesting. Yeah. A, a guy who has a howitzer for an arm and also has some offensive upside what you're doing though you're falling for it you're falling for it (laughs) i just just said like the number it never works out and then every year someone's like no it'll work out this time you just did it see this is this is how (laughs) this is how we get um i don't know that's that's where you end it because like what am i you know what 
I, Blake's Blake, Blake Sweetheart still has a chance, man. You, you, you're you you're sleeping on Blake Sweetheart. You still got a chance to be a solid Nick every day. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness gracious, uh, Nick. By the way, oh my, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, Mariners once took a guy named Steve Barron who, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. there are the prep catching position, uh, not so much. Uh, there is a good college bat uh, catcher that I like this year in Kyle Teal, um, who I think will go cut, we'll go pretty high. Um, again, he's basically the similar profile in Mitchell, except for I don't really see the power potential, but he's a guy I think you could just put behind the plate right now and say, Hey, you're, you're uh, you're our backup catcher. Uh, and you, hopefully we can develop into a starter. They're not going to do that, um, but he's ready defensively right now. And I think there's enough offensive upside. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's very athletic. He actually mm-hmm. played outfield earlier in his career. Uh, he's made a lot of gains. I mean, scouts have really praised the improvements he's made to his game and I don't know how much power will come. I think it's possible that he's more contact focused, but based on what I just said earlier, a lot of guys get drafted and on draft night we're saying, oh, it's a 60 hit, 45 power. And then three years later, it's a, a 40, 45 hit and a 60 power. And it's like, okay, fair enough. They taught him how to loft the ball. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, it's just the way it works. Um, we can only judge the, what we see right now. You know what I mean? It, it's very obvious sometimes that it's like, ah, you just add some loft to a swing. Ah, you just, it, involve the lower body a little bit more you're going to get into that power stuff but we can only judge what we see right now rj and i think it's just a snapshot in time it's just exactly no one here like we're not perfect like we miss all the time i no i miss constantly and that's fine oh yeah sure crawford he's missed once he missed on steve barron Uh, yeah yeah i hit a huge (laughs) steve barron by the way uh garrett whitley didn't ever actually happen so i've never actually made a mistake uh rj Please promote all the good stuff that you're doing at CBS Sports. Uh, I would just say go to CBS Sports to read Dane Perry, Mikey Season, Matt Snyder. I think <laughs> Dane is uh, Dane is like the best writer who writes about baseball. Uh, just phenomenal talent and acts horrible is a machine. Human Snyder's a machine. So yeah, I think we have a very good team there. It's a small team, but a good team. And I would just encourage you to read them as much as possible. I think they're all very good. And they don't get their credit, in my opinion. I, I mean, I, I hate Dane Perry, but <laughs> he is absolutely as good as it gets. One of my favorite, and all those guys you mentioned, uh, all of you guys at CBS Sports do an excellent job. So make sure that you're following their work and make sure you're following RJ on Twitter. It's R underscore J underscore Anderson. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. Make sure that you're following the podcast. Like and subscribe. We have new episodes every single day of the week during the season. I'm sure I'll have RJ back to talk about some of the draft stuff, uh, where people landed, what he liked, what he didn't like. We haven't talked about it yet, but he's uh, he's under contract, and he'll do whatever I tell him to do. <laughs> and it's, it's a very nice thing. Thanks again for uh, tuning in, and we will see you tomorrow. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.